Well, greetings, brethren, midweek, blessings to all of you. Just uh, checking the sound before we go live. Uh, just wanting to make sure that I am coming through loudly well, and clearly. Brethren. And I believe I am. I think I'll just get ready to go live once I get confirmation. Thanks, brethren. Wonderful. Thanks, uh, Brother Richard. We're ready to go live. Uh, hopefully you're hearing me now, uh, brethren. Sorry about that. Just uh, user error. The problem was on my side. Um, I just opened with prayer there. And um, last week when we were covering Isaiah chapter 1, um, I skipped a couple of verses. I'm not sure what happened. I know I was rushing from one meeting straight into the study and uh, missed a couple of verses. So let's just pick up the back few verses of chapter one, and then uh, let's cover chapter two this evening. Let me go ahead and share my screen. Uh, 
And as I say, we'll just go back a little bit. Uh, let's just pick it up, uh, pick up one verse, uh, 21, and then drop down to verse 24. He says here, how is the faithful city become a harlot? This, this is puzzling to the prophet. How, how did this happen? How did this happen? That you can imagine how glorious this city was, and now it's become a harlot? Talk about extremes. And, you know, if this is happening to the ancient covenant people, could this happen to the modern covenant community, i.e. the church? It bears thinking about, especially with the, the letter to Laodicea. How has the faithful city become a harlot? It was full of judgment. Righteousness lodged in it. But now, murderers. And so there are, these were physical murderers. They were murdering their, their, their brethren. Uh, we can be guilty of spiritual murder. Dropping down to verse 24. Therefore, says the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will ease me of my adversaries and avenge me of my enemies. So last week we said, God, the creator of the universe, identifies himself with Israel. And although Israel has become, or Judah, Judah and more specifically and particularly, Jerusalem has become completely unfaithful, that in no way, shape, or form affects God's faithfulness. What makes God God is his faithfulness to his word. That he speaks and that's it. He never goes back on his word. So God has covenanted himself with Israel. And even though Israel is treacherous, he still identifies himself as the Holy One of Israel. And now here in verse 24, the Mighty One of Israel. He's the Mighty One of Israel. So what's happening now with the unfaithful in Israel, the rebellious in Israel? Well, he says, I will ease me of my adversaries and avenge me of my enemies. And certainly that refers to Gentiles. But clearly, there are enemies of God within the covenant community. And God is going to deal with them. And I will turn my hand upon you and purely purge away your dross and take away all your tin. So, so uh, Zion is going to get an upgrade because God is committed to Zion. God is committed to Israel. And so even though there's all this unfaithfulness, it doesn't mean God walks away and marries somebody else. He's committed to this covenant and there's no other covenant. And he's bound to act within this covenant. And this is why Abraham had such confidence in God, because he knew God will not go back on his word. And it's why in Hebrews 6, all of the spiritual descendants of God can have confidence in God, regardless of what is in front of us, and why we can walk by faith and not by sight, because we realize in studying the history of this relationship, this covenant relationship that God has with Israel, that God never goes back on his word. And so even though all of this unfaithfulness is within Judah, and specifically Jerusalem, God says, I will turn my hand upon you and purely purge away your dross and take away your tin, all your tin. And I will restore your judges as at the first. So God does not turn his back on Jerusalem. In fact, we know that the whole world will look to Jerusalem. The whole world will be seeking wisdom from Jerusalem. 
And so something is going to happen. Jerusalem is going to go through a purging and a cleansing process. And then God is going to restore her judges as at the beginning. And your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So here, right within the first chapter of the scroll of Isaiah, we've just opened up the scroll and started reading. And we've hardly gotten anywhere. And we've got the gospel message. We have the good news that God has not forsaken his people, that God is faithful to his covenant, and that Jerusalem shall be restored and, and the whole world will come to Jerusalem and, and God's people will be restored in the promised land. Here it is. Here it is. So, so you know, first Isaiah, second Isaiah, and first Isaiah is full of judgment and it's Old Testament, and second Isaiah is full of mercy and it's New Testament. And so therefore, there must have been two different people who wrote these, this, this, these books. This is absolutely ridiculous. This is just ridiculousness. That the entire scroll has the mercy of God and the judgment of God. And we just have to look for it and we see it. So he says here that afterward, after this cleansing process, and it, we, the prophet doesn't say here how painful this cleansing process is going to be, but we know from chapter 6, and we'll get there shortly, that there is going to be an abomination that makes desolate. And that desolation process is the cleansing process. And that this great tribulation upon which no nation has ever uh, experienced anything like this, uh, that is where God gets the cleansing. So afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. In other words, the whole world will refer to Jerusalem, Zion, as the faithful city. Even though she's a harlot today, according to the prophet. Even though she's unfaithful today. According to the prophet, tomorrow, in the near future, the whole world is going to be just holding Zion in great... Remember when um, the Queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon all the way from Ethiopia and traveled to, to hear, is it true what I'm hearing? Well, this is the fame, that the, the, this is an inkling of the kind of fame Jerusalem is about to have all over the world. Now, he says that he'll, he'll restore the judges the way it was at the beginning and the counselors the way it was at the beginning. Let's go back. 2 Samuel 5.10. And this is when David united the tribes of Israel and Judah, the north and the south. And David went on and grew great. And Jehovah, the Lord God of hosts, was with him. And David, verse 12, David perceived that Jehovah had established him king over Israel. He realized God did this. And that he had exalted his kingdom for his people, Israel's sake. And so David was a, a faithful king, became a, a leader after God's own heart, a man after God's own, God's own heart. And, and there was faithfulness in the city. And this is what, what his son Solomon inherited. And initially Solomon was off to a great start. And the whole nation was, was revered all over the world. And God is saying, I'll, I'll restore this. Back to Isaiah 1, 27. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment. With judgment. And this actually, you know, think of, um, hopefully you were with us maybe three weeks back when Pastor Murray gave his sermon on Worthy is the Lamb, part one. 
And it's like we sing this song, worthy is the lamb, but he asked the question, worthy for what? Worthy for what? And, and he, we saw worthy to take this scroll of judgments. And the only one who could carry out these judgments because of his faithfulness to Torah, that he came and he, he lived by Torah, so he's now able to judge according to Torah. And not only to judge according to Torah, but to redeem according to Torah. So Zion shall be redeemed with judgment. That the, 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 the judgment will be unlocked. And the, what, what's in this scroll will ultimately result in the redemption and the union of Zion with her God. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment and her converts with righteousness. So Zion's going to have converts. And these converts are going to be uh, redeemed with righteousness. But this word converts is very interesting. It's the Hebrew word shuv. And rather than converts, uh, I think a better translation would be her returnees or her repentant. That something is in, in this, that the message of the gospel is coming through to Zion. And she is repenting and returning to her God. So somebody has to understand all of this and the precious role that Zion has in the plan of God and not subscribe to replacement theology where we just kick Judah to the curb and say, we're here now, we don't, God doesn't need you anymore. But instead, no, to be humble and say, no, there's, a, there's an eternal relationship that Jehovah has with Zion and with Judah, and with Israel. And we have been grafted into this, but we're not going to hijack it. We're going to acknowledge it and proclaim it. And we don't care if people are upset. We don't care if people want to cast this as hate speech. We don't care if people want to say we're criminals because we're preaching what's in the Word of God. We just realize what is in the Word of God, and we have to preach this good news. So that Zion is going to have repentant, returnees, the, sh the shuv. And he says that they'll be redeemed with righteousness. Now, this should take us right back to Moses. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1, it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon you, the blessing and the curse. So we just had the blessings and the curses in 28 and 29. And Moses is saying, you're going to get both which I have said before you, and you shall call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. Well, that's the ultimate curse, that you cannot, you must be ejected from the land because of your unfaithfulness, and you'll be scattered all over the earth. And you can go and serve uh, the, uh, the idols that you are worshiping. Go to these nations and serve those idols there, serve those false gods there, and be subjugated and humiliated and, and uh, just completely enslaved and destroyed, and see how that works out for you. So that's going to happen to you. And then he says, and then you shall return. This is the same word, this is it. So what Isaiah is speaking of is what Moses prophesied. These are the returnees. These are the, it's not so much when we think of convert, we think of somebody who's never heard of uh, Christ. And we go and we preach Christ and say, like, okay, this makes total sense to me. I repent. I'm going to convert from my Gentile ways to Christ. Well, this is not, the, this is not 
conversion in that sense. It's about returning. It's, it's somebody understands the gospel and preaches it in such a way that the Hebrews recognize it and the Hebrews acknowledge it. And the Hebrews come to realize that Christ is their Messiah. And so they are returning to Torah. It's something they already had. They turned away from it. The gospel was preached faithfully, and they've returned. So you shall return to Jehovah, your God, and you shall obey his voice according to all that I command you this day, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul, and there's the gospel message right there. But we can't just assume that it's for everybody. You know, if you're part of this covenant community, don't worry, God is obligated to save you. No, that's just not true. And that's not what Moses taught, and that's what none of the prophets taught that. Listen to Malachi. Malachi says, for behold, the day comes, and this is what we have to warn, all nations, but especially Judah. For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven. This is what's coming. And all the proud, all the proud, all the proud, and hopefully you were with us on Sabbath when I gave the first part of my two-part sermon, uh, which was about discerning the Lord's body and, and how Isaiah shows us that the root cause of all of the abominations of Judah and Jerusalem is pride. And pride comes from the devil. And that was the root cause of Sodom and Gomorrah's sin and abomination was pride. And so here we see the solution to pride. And, and here we see that not everybody in the covenant community can just waltz into, God is not obligated to say, well, it doesn't matter whatever you do, I'm obligated to place you in the promised land and to bring you into my kingdom. No, you must repent. And if they, if they, if they have to hear the message, but if they don't repent, Malachi tells us the future, as all the other prophets do. For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven. And I don't know, I think most of us have been had the opportunity to be close to an oven uh, or a furnace and to just feel the heat of it or, or a blazing fire. And all the proud, Gentile and Jew, the Jew first, but also the Gentile. Yes, and this is speaking specifically of the covenant community. And all that do wickedly within the covenant community shall be stubble. And the day that comes shall burn them up, speaking of the covenant community, who don't repent, says the Lord of hosts, and it shall leave them neither root nor branch. We cannot take Jehovah for granted. There, there's an agreement here. And, and this process of turmoil that the covenant people have to go through is to drive them to repentance so that God can get the purity of heart that Moses prophesied would come. And so Isaiah is showing us that the, the messaging that's required for these people to come to their senses and to come out of their wickedness. So here Isaiah continues now, even though he's painting this beautiful picture of what is to come, he also shows us that it's not all hugs and kisses. There is destruction for those who are proud and unfaithful, as Malachi showed us. So even though he's painted this picture of this, this beautiful Zion being redeemed and, and, and the way it was at first and she's going to be established and the whole world is going to refer to her as the faithful city, well, for those who are faithful, for those who repent and return to Torah. But here he says, but the destruction and the destruction of the transgressors 
and of the sinners shall be together. And they that forsake Yehovah shall be destroyed. We cannot take God for granted. There's no once saved, always saved here. Read the messages, read the letters from Christ himself to the churches, the seven churches. And there is terrible news in those letters. It's a warning, but for those who are proud, for those who don't repent, for those who don't move from the leaven to the unleaven, it's not going to end well. And God is consistent. God is consistent. And so those that forsake Jehovah shall be destroyed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks which you have desired, and you shall be confounded for the gardens that you have chosen. So this is now speaking of their idolatry, where they go to these trees and they get involved in idolatrous practices, and the prophet is warning them, you'll be ashamed of this. For you shall be as an oak whose leaf fades, and as a garden that has no water. So just very poetic language here, uh, just imagery to show that, you know, what you're pursuing, it's vanity, and it's not going to end well. And finally, um, Isaiah 1, verse, verse 31, even the strong, and the strong shall be as tow or as waste, as refuse. Those that you're looking up to and thinking they're just so powerful and mighty, they'll be like refuse. And the maker of it as a spark. And they shall both burn together. That's exactly what Malachi tells us. This is the fate of the unrepentant in the covenant community. And they shall both burn together and none shall quench them. There, there's no hope for them. So we, we see Isaiah showing us the good news, but it's not all good and it's not a walk in the park and God cannot be taken for granted. There's some bad news in here as well. Now, this whole um, imagery around what uh, Judah is doing with these oak trees, let's go back to 2 Kings 17 and verse 9. 2 Kings 17 and verse 9. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against Jehovah, their God. And they built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. And they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. This is the idolatrous practices that they've learned from the pagan nations around them that they should have cleared out, but they didn't. They, they wanted to accommodate them and live with them. And now instead of them teaching the nations, they're being taught by the nations. And there they burnt incense in all the high places, as did the heathen whom Jehovah carried away before them and, brought, and wrought wicked things to provoke Jehovah to anger. This, this is what they did. For they served idols whereof Jehovah had said unto them, you shall not do this thing. Remember Isaiah opened and said, God, God says, I brought up children and they rebelled against me. I nourished them, I looked after them, I gave them every advantage. And they used all of that and turned against me. This is what they've done. Now, again, in all of this bad news and this unfaithfulness, God is faithful. God is a covenant-keeping God. And so now we come into chapter 2 of Isaiah, and it opens with, very similar to, to how chapter 1 opened, the word 
in chapter one, it was the vision. But here it's the word that Isaiah, the son of Amaz, saw. So it's still a vision. It's something that he saw. Concerning, concerning what? What is this about? Is Isaiah about Canada? Is the book of Isaiah about America? New Zealand, England, Iceland, South Africa? What is it about? Do we, want to, we just want to make sure we, we keep the subject matter in line of sight so that we don't start applying it uh, carelessly. So are there principles from Isaiah that we can apply to our nations? Of course. Are there Jews in our nations that are part DNA descendants of Judah, and therefore this applies to them? Yes. But the Bible is not just a, a political book. It's very geographical. And the covenant is not just a, a covenant between two parties, Israel and God, uh, and that's retained now with Judah. It's not just that. The covenant has to do with real estate, that it is a kingdom that involves real estate. And, and that land is very much a part of what was promised to Abraham. So we have to be very, very clear. This is a vision of Isaiah, a word that Isaiah, the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So as we read, let's keep that in mind. This is about Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days. So, so we, we're in this current situation that Isaiah is laying out to them, their wickedness and their unfaithfulness, but how God will ultimately do what Moses prophesied and restore them. And now he fast forwards all the way out into the future, the last days. It shall come to pass. And so this is, this is how it's all going to happen. This is the vision that he received. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of Jehovah's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. He saw this and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations, the Goyim, shall flow unto it. What? This is what Isaiah is telling him. Look, Judah and Jerusalem, this will happen. And all nations all around the world are going to come to you. And your God will be established. His house will be established. And many people, Gentiles, shall go and say... Come you, and let us go up to the mountain of Jehovah, to the house of the God of Jacob. So we'll get to Isaiah 25, but God is going to lift this veil that Satan has cast over the earth. And this, this hatred that is in the hearts of men towards the covenant community. And it's going to be replaced with an acknowledgement that, that truth comes out of Zion. And, and holiness is, is this city. And we need to go there to learn how to be holy. And this creator that made us, no more evolution, no more uh, false god nonsense. The whole world will know the true God and will know that the creator is the God of Jacob. That he has bound himself to Jacob. And this is all 12 tribes. 
So we know now just from this vision and this prophecy that this covenant that is uh, being retained by Judah, ultimately all 12 tribes will be restored into this covenant. And these are, these are the, the uh, Gentiles speaking to each other. This is their idea. This is what they've come to realize. Um, let's go up to this mountain and, and Yehovah will teach us of his ways. We, we can have a part in this. And so when we say that this is a covenant that is exclusively with Israel, ultimately the whole world benefits. When we try to water it down and say that, you know, uh, Christ died for everybody and that's it, you know, uh, he's going to come, he's going to return and, and he's going to be at one with the whole world and um, we're going to be kings and priests and everybody's going to know God. When we cut the covenant community out of the plan of God, we are accusing God of being a liar. This is why in Hebrews 6, he says, by two immutable things, we may have strong consolation because it's impossible for God to lie. So when, when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are resurrected, they are fully expecting God to be faithful to the promises that he made to them. And this is what we must preach. And that it is through his faithfulness to his word that the whole world will be blessed. That's what he said to Abraham. In you will all families of the earth be blessed. And he means that literally. So they're realizing all the families of the earth are now talking to each other. And they're saying, Yehovah will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. So um, Isaiah, the prophet, is now explaining why this is the case. Why are people all over the world realizing they have to go to Jerusalem, they have to keep the feast, they have to make sure that they're there for the, the sacred assemblies so that they can learn and come back and teach their people? He says, this is why. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, the Torah. The Torah will go forth out of Zion. And the Debar, the word of Jehovah from Jerusalem. This is, this is the future. This is what's going to happen. And Zion has a, a line of sight to the future. And he's telling Judah and Jerusalem, look, this is the future. All the nations of the world are going to be coming to you as the priests of God to come and to learn and to have these uh, sacred assemblies facilitated by you as they come to learn of, from your God. And that he's the God of Jacob and not just of Judah. He's the God of Israel forever uh, in the gospel of according to Luke. We read this when we, when we covered uh, Luke. It's in the archive now. Verse 32, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. He's going to restore Zion the way it was at first. And David is going to be resurrected. And, and Christ himself will be here in Jerusalem. And he shall reign over what? Just over the whole earth? And we just cut the covenant community out of the story? Or is he faithful to his word? He shall reign over the house of Jacob, Yaakov, forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. So this, this is an eternal covenant. God is bound by the word that he spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers. He's bound by it. He cannot act outside of it. He's faithful to this covenant. Now we have a huge problem. The wickedness and the harlotry and, and the debauchery of these people. But that doesn't change God's faithfulness. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And if that means that he must bring on the great tribulation, 
to, to be a great cleansing of these people, that he will purify the sons of Levi and purify Judah and purify Israel and purify Zion so that he can be faithful to his word, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then that's what's going to happen. And again, somebody has to be able to read the texts <clears throat> faithfully to the Hebrews. If we preach this gospel and the Jews do not repent, then Satan gets his way to show that God is a liar. And that's why he's out to destroy the Jews, to prove God a liar. But God is not a liar. And God is going to raise up, even if he has to raise up stones, this true gospel will be preached. And this is what we must preach. Isaiah 2 and verse 4. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. Oh, I thought Christ was all candy canes and cuddles. I thought Jesus was, oh, he's got the whole world in his hands and he just loves everybody, the whole world in his arms. And he just, it's just all smiles and everything's fine. And yet I'm reading this prophecy of our future, what lies ahead just around the corner, and he's going to judge the nations. And he's going to rebuke many people. And the first fruits community, the first fruits harvest, is going to sit on thrones with him. And it's going to rule these nations with a rod of iron. And it's going to rebuke these nations. So I think we have to have a balanced view of our, of our Savior. That yes, he is incredibly merciful. But as is his mercy, so is his wrath. And we cannot take him for granted. So he's going to rebuke many people. And they deserve rebuking. They're going to be out of control. But he shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. They're going to take weapons of war and turn them into farming instruments. And this whole concept of war and uh, uh, vanquishing others and oppressing, it's all going to go away. And it's all going to be about, hey, how do we support each other? How do we help each other? How do we enjoy the abundance of peace? And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so we know from, from Matthew here, Matthew 24 and verse 6, that we're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. And see that we're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So there's going to be a tremendous, uh, beautiful rhetoric notwithstanding. There's going to be tremendous violence and war in the earth. Beautiful rhetoric notwithstanding. Man does not know the way of peace without God. And even though they're going to be fighting each other and trying to seek dominance and control, the real target of this warfare is Judah. And more specifically, well, I could say Israel, more specifically Judah, and even more specifically and particularly Jerusalem. And God says that here in Luke 21 and verse 20. And when you shall see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. So that's why when we see this sword in Isaiah 120, which we saw last week, but if you refuse and rebel, Jerusalem and Judah, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of Jehovah has spoken it. So this sword, that the, these swords that they're going to take and, and turn them into farming instruments, the, the, the main victim of the sword will be the Jews. And those people that will be beheaded the most and tortured the most 
and feel the wrath of Satan the most will be the Jews and Jerusalem in particular. So when they're coming now and, and God is rebuking them, Zechariah 12, he's rebuking them for touching his covenant people, even though he's used these uh, Gentile nations to purify his people. He will then, according to Moses, Deuteronomy 30, uh, and Pastor Murray spoke about this in his sermon, he's then going to flip the script. And the Gentiles will be subject to these curses. So he says now, O house of Jacob, Yaakov, all, the whole house of Jacob, come you and let us walk in the light of Jehovah. Like, what? Like, why would you do anything else? This is the future. Let's align ourselves with this eternal future. And he speaks to the whole house of Jacob, and yet the northern tribes have been divorced, and the covenant re is retained with the southern tribes, known as Judah. But here in Ezekiel 37 and 19, he says, Say unto them, Thus says Jehovah, the Lord God, behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which represents Israel, which is in the hand of Ephraim. So Ephraim represents all the northern tribes prophetically. And the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and will put with him even the stick of Judah. And so Judah represents the southern tribes. And so the covenant remains with Judah, but God is saying, I'm going to make them one stick. And this is how the northern tribes get integrated back in to the covenant and make them one stick, and they shall be one in my hand. So back to Isaiah 2, verse 6. Therefore, so, so we see this beautiful vision of this future concerning, concerning who? who who's this a, a vision of? Is this just uh, Jesus Christ returns and all of his people are, are going to be in this position? Isaiah is very clear. This vision that he saw concerns Judah and Jerusalem. Yes, we know we are first fruits. And there's a special place and role that we're going to have, but we have to understand the narrative. Instead of just inserting ourselves and in, in a way perverting the narrative, twisting the narrative and not understanding it because it's just so important that we're always in center stage. Why don't we back away from center stage and just read the script and look at the stage as it unfolds and who's on stage and who's in center stage. And, and just read the script without inserting ourselves in it. And only after we understand the narrative, then we ask ourselves, okay, where do I fit? And, and how do I help God get what he wants? How, how can I contribute to this incredible plan of God? And instead of trying to make it all about me always all the time on center stage, why don't I humble myself and ask God through his prophets to, to answer me, what is this all about? What is it that you're doing in the earth? And how can I help? How can I be a, a useful part of this for you? Well, we have to understand this. This is a vision that uh, Isaiah had concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And then he says this after this beautiful, noble vision of, of Zion in the future with her God. Then he says this, therefore you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob. What? I thought it was all just wonderful. No, Isaiah is real. Therefore, you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines. 
and they please themselves in the children of strangers. Wow. And it, it begs the question, could the church do this? Instead of honoring the body of Christ, could the church go outside of the body and honor the children of strangers and treat the children of strangers as if they're equal or even more important than the body of Christ? This is the history of the covenant community. And so here we have uh, Jacob, the house of Jacob, that God has to forsake them. Why? Because they, they are replenished. They're going to the east where you see it today. Nobody wants to hear about Christ. They want to go to the east and bring in false religions from the east. And they're soothsayers like the Philistines. They're getting involved in, in black magic and sorcery, and they don't even know what they're doing. And they please themselves in the children of strangers. This was Judah and Israel. Their land also is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land also is full of horses. Neither is there any end of their chariots. So this now is speaking of the economy and the military. So at the time that Isaiah is prophesying, Judah and Israel are enjoying incredible wealth such robust economy and Israel has no idea that Assyria is right around the corner and Judah has no idea that Babylon is right around the corner they're just enjoying incredible prosperity and with it incredible arrogance well let's just lift this and look at our nations today the western nations let's look at Canada America South Africa Britain Australia let's look at these western nations and the incredible, robust economies that we have enjoyed. Through the unlocking of the creativity of the, the individual and the entrepreneurial spirit, and the ability to create value, and the wealth that has been generated, and the militaries that have gone along with this. You need a strong economy to have a strong military. You have a weak economy, you weaken the military. And so now we see other nations getting strong in their economy. Look at China and building a very robust military. And these people at this time had no idea what was coming, but they had a strong economy and strong military and, and full of silver and gold, which is, you know, today we would just talk about other assets. Some people have silver and gold, but fiat money, fiat currency, real estate, all kinds of wealth. And there's no end to the, the, the economic wealth until socialism comes. That, that, if you want to end this, this kind of economy, just, just adopt a socialist government. Because this, this, this is not about value creation. It's just about stealing from the wealthy and the productive and giving it to the, the unproductive. And it never works. It has never worked. It just results in mass murder. And this is where we're headed. So this economy, they were trusting in the economy and trusting in their military. And then... So it's not wrong to have a strong economy. It's good to have a strong economy. It's good to have a strong military. David was a military commander and had a very strong economy. But it's what's behind it. And so underpinning this economy and military is verse 8. Their land also is full of idols. Look at our lands today. Full of idolatry. Full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. 
So they create these things and they're in awe. They show the glory of it to each other and they're in awe. And they ignore their God. Now, verse 9 says, the mean man bows down and the great man humbles himself. This is not in the Hebrew. It just says the Adam, meaning mankind, bows down and the Ish humbles himself. So I think it's just poetry, man saying Adam and Ish both mean man. But it's a good translation. The concept being the poor person as well as the great person, poor and great and small, are bowing down in this idolatry. And then the prophet says this, therefore, forgive them not. Ouch, ouch. They are so steeped in their idolatry and their adultery and their debauchery and their theft and their murder and their oppression. And they're so arrogant that the, 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 the prophet, even though he sees the future, this glorious future, he's pleading with God not to forgive these people. And then he says, enter into the rock and hide you in the dust for fear of Jehovah and for the glory of his majesty. Like, do you have any idea who Jehovah is and that he's about to appear on the earth? You need to go hide. And, and this, you know, the, the prophet uh, Isaiah is referenced by the Apostle John. And so in the, in the Apostle John, Revelation 6 and verse five, 15, and this is also in the archive, uh, the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every freeman, so rich and poor, powerful and slave, hid themselves in the dens of the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. And so certainly this applies to the Gentiles. But what Isaiah is showing us is that this applies to Judah and more specifically to Jerusalem. The corruption is right in the covenant community and the rich and powerful in the covenant community as well as the poor. There's no, there's no um, inoculation against this arrogance. It's throughout the whole community against their God. And they're going to, they're going to be terrified when he, when he appears. And then he says this here, uh, Isaiah 2, verse 11. And just if you were with us uh, for the sermon on Sabbath, and we talk about the root, Isaiah shows us the root cause of all of this debauchery and abomination within the covenant community. What's the root cause of it? pride. And so as we get ready to come into the spring holy days, to observe the Passover, to observe the days of unleavened bread, to get the leaven out, that which puffs us up, we've got to realize there's a real purpose behind all of this. It's not just ritual. And we do this every year, but we're not changing. We have to change. We have to be transformed as we come into the, the wisdom of God and, and what he has designed and what he has given us to be the first fruits, to partake of as the first fruits, it's mind-blowing. He says, the lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. And the haughtiness of men 
shall be bowed down. All of this idolatry, strong economy, strong military, we don't need God. Mm, it's not going to work out well, Isaiah says. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And Jehovah alone shall be exalted in that day. And this is the way we need to operate now, that we, we are today exalting each other, esteeming each other better than ourselves. We are today all about the body of Christ and honoring worthy as the lamb. And think of uh, Deacon Jan's sermon uh, two weeks ago, worthy as the lamb part two. And just how worthy is he? And this is, we're just preoccupied and obsessed with the worthiness of the lamb and the praise of the lamb so that when he suddenly appears, we rejoice. We don't have to be hiding, even though he's appearing in great wrath. And we have to communicate this. Jesus Christ is angry and he's returning in great wrath. And any minister who's not preaching this is not preaching the true Christ. But when he appears in this great wrath, we will rejoice and join him and, and judge with him and be in alignment with his uh, uh, judging of the Torah or by the Torah. For the day of Jehovah of hosts, the, the God of armies, shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty. <laughs> this, this is the problem. This is what needs to be addressed. This is what needs to be rooted out. And this is what we must preach against. But we ourselves have to go through the unleavened process so that we're not exalting ourselves above others and we're not getting caught up in causes that are full of beautiful rhetoric but embedded with, with pride. We're not doing that. We're exalting Christ, worthy as the Lamb. We're exalting the Lamb and His body. Shall be upon this day of Jehovah. Oh, we're looking forward to the day of the, the Lord. Oh, yeah? That's what Isaiah is saying to the, oh, yeah, you are? Well, it's going to be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. And Isaiah 14, we're going to see... Uh, this um, revealing of the character of Satan, Lucifer, what happened to him, and this desire that he has to be lifted up. Uh, the Hebrew word is Allah, to be Allah, to be lifted up. And he's going to be brought down in such a terrible way. It already has happened, but it's going to be complete as he's bound in this, uh, this pit. And he'll be totally humiliated. And this disease that he's injecting in human beings, we cannot, we cannot live with it. We have to get rid of it. Because all those that are leavened are going to be brought low. And upon the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon the, all the oaks of Bashan, these are imagine these beautiful trees that are great symbols of the idolatry of these pagan nations. And upon all the high mountains... And upon all the hills that are lifted up, and remember, he opened this chapter by saying that the mountain of the Lord will be above, will be exalted above all of this. So I'm sorry for anybody who's getting caught up in these things. And upon every high tower, and upon every fenced wall, and upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all the pleasant pictures. So you would have to think of the military at this time, go back in time, and just think of how powerful uh, these ships were at the time. Uh, to me, you know, the first time I actually saw a cruise liner, uh, I was just, well, actually went on this uh, cruise liner, I was astonished. I had no idea that they could build ships that big. 
It was like a city on the water. Uh, but that's nothing. That's just a commercial uh, consumer uh, vehicle. But they have military powers now that if you were to see these high-tech military powers, these air bases on the water, uh, this is amazing, all the latest technology. But this is nothing. And, and putting your trust in these sort of things, in silver and gold and in military power, this is what Judah needs to learn. Don't do this. And Judah herself has incredible military power, and she has relied heavily on the partnership with America. But America is going a different direction now. America is cozying up with China, cozying up with the Islamic world, and turning her back, cozying up with the, the Palestinians. And this new administration is turning her back on Judah. And so all of this military might that Judah has relied upon, and, and we don't need Christ, it's not going to work out well. And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of man shall be made low. And Jehovah alone shall be exalted in that day. So this is like, wow. And I just gave this sermon on Sabbath. And then here in Isaiah 2, it's just really, he's just really driving home the point that he began in chapter 1. Pride is the root cause. And pride is what's going to be dealt with within the covenant of the whole world, but especially within the covenant community. And, and there are going to be some in the covenant community who are going to be broken. And who are going to repent and who are going to be return. And Isaiah calls them, in English, they're called the converts of Zion. But that comes because somebody is preaching the gospel, Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2. Somebody's preaching the gospel to them, so they come to understand. And the idols he shall utterly abolish. This is going to be no competition with Jehovah in the future. Right now, there's tons of competition. Because Jehovah is hiding himself from Jacob and hiding himself from the whole world. And so everybody gets to preach whatever philosophy, whatever false god they want. And they can do it with force. And Jehovah is just quietly watching until the time comes for him to appear. And then it's a whole different story. And then the whole world comes into this truth that we are understanding. And we will rejoice with Judah, Judah will rejoice. They will actually say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because they will have heard this true gospel. And they'll come to understand what this really is. And when he appears, they'll, be, they'll have no military might to defend themselves. They will be completely prepared, preparing to be completely wiped out, to be completely desolate. But then Christ will appear and show himself mighty on their behalf. And they will rejoice at his appearing. And we will rejoice at his appearing. And all the tribes of the earth shall mourn because of him. The idols he shall utterly abolish. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of Jehovah, for the glory of his majesty, when he arises to shake terribly the earth. This is, this is going to be awful. The day of the Lord is going to be awful. And a lot of blood is going to be shed. This is going to be like nothing we've ever seen. In that day, a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each one for himself to worship, to the moles and to the bats. Suddenly they'll realize this 
means nothing. And I think this last year of the, you know, here we are in um, March, 2021. And this last year um, from March, 2020, I think it's really shown us how rapidly the world can change and how things that we thought were important are really not that important. And things that maybe we were taking for granted, we need to realize, no, this is really, really important. So we need to get our priorities straight, brethren. And just, you know, here it's speaking of silver and gold, which is just basically the economy and, and wealth and how the economy is, is used to support idolatry instead of being used to praise God. But we as Christians, we need to get our houses in order. And we need to get out of debt. We cannot be in debt now, brethren. We've got to stop, we've got to stop spending as consumers. You know, it's one thing to invest. It's another thing to build things up. But just to consume because oh, I, the advertising told me I need this. I need a new car. I need a new this. I need a new that. Do we really? I think we need to just be able to pull back now, get out of debt, which is slavery, because who knows what this economy is going to do, where interest rates will go, uh, what they will, how they're trying to collapse the economy as, as the world goes to this global socialism and there's no wealth being created, uh, the whole thing's just going to collapse. And, and those that are in debt up to their eyeballs, which is a form of slavery, we're, we're going to be in big trouble. So let's, let's work to get out of debt and to prepare for a collapsed economy that everybody's putting their trust in. They think this economy, to, to spend trillions of dollars and just print money like it's nothing, is there not going to be a day of reckoning? So we just need to realize that these people have lost their mind and there is going to be a day of reckoning. And everything's going to collapse and people are going to realize, oh, it's, uh, we, we can't take everything for granted after all. And we need to figure out what's really important. In that day, a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made, made each one for himself to worship. They made this for themselves. So Isaiah is really amazing. He's saying, you know, they made this and then they got down on their knees and they worshipped it as if it was their God when they're the ones who made it. They just cast it to the moles and to the bats. To go into the clefts of the rocks and to the tops of the ragged rocks for fear of Jehovah. He, he is coming to shake terribly the earth and he's coming in great wrath and he is worthy to do this. And for the glory of his majesty, when he arises to shake terribly the earth, and Isaiah repeats it again. This is, he sees it. He, he knows what's coming, or he knew what was coming. And then he says this. At the end, of, here's his conclusion. Cease you from man whose breath is in his nostrils. Even though they present themselves as mighty and powerful, and Isaiah is saying, you know what? Don't worry about them. Withdraw yourself from them. They're going to die. And they're nothing compared to God. And he's about to appear. Cease you from man whose breath is in his nostrils. For wherein is he to be accounted of? And I think on that note, uh, let's end in Hebrews 12. Bring this in a New Testament context or uh, what, what uh, the Apostle Paul, we believe, wrote to the same Hebrew community, the descendants of these people. He says, whose voice then, Hebrews 12 and verse 26 whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised saying, yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. So this is, this is a bigger picture now. He's not just going to shake the earth, he's going to shake the heaven as well. And we're going to see the stars falling from the heavens. 
And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken. So we're going to figure out what's established and what, is, what was never really there, what was never really established and grounded. Yet once more signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. And that's what we want to be, brethren. We want to be among those things that cannot be shaken. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. So he's speaking to these Hebrews, saying, this, this is our kingdom, that we, this is promised to us. And we now, by extension, who have been grafted into this, we are receiving this kingdom, which cannot be moved. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So brethren, let's not get caught up in this world. Let's not get caught up in this world's movements. Let's not get caught up in this world's wealth and its idolatry, adultery, and debauchery. Let's withdraw ourselves and let's stick to what's important. Let's praise our God and let's support each other. Let's esteem each other better than ourselves. And I'll continue that theme, God willing, this Sabbath as we pick up with part two of discerning the Lord's body. But what a, what a beautiful vision. It's troubling in ways. It's troubling in ways as we look at what the prophet Isaiah uh, saw in the future here in Isaiah chapter 2. It's beautiful, but it's also very troubling. And we have to understand this about our God. Yes, he's a God of unimaginable mercy. And yes, he's a God of unimaginable wrath. Both are true. It's both and, not either or. And if we're going to preach him faithfully, like Isaiah, we're going to both, both show both sides. And if we're going to preach him faithfully, we're going to understand that Isaiah's vision was a vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And so we have to get the pieces of the puzzle in the right places so that we can preach it faithfully. Jesus Christ is faithful. The, the, and uh, Pastor Murray said this in his sermon as well, that what differentiates God from the false gods is the true God is a God of covenant. He's faithful and he's our Lord and our Savior. Let's praise him. Amen.